Christians fail to see just how powerful prayer really is. Do you really believe that when you're on your knees, that when you're talking, that God, God is listening to you? Exodus chapter 32. Everyone knows how frustrating it is when you are in a heated debate with someone and you just know that you are right, but the other person is wrong and they refuse to see your side of the equation. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? You've been in a debate, whether it's a a silly debate or a heavy debate, either way, it's easy for us to, you have an opinion about something, right? Whether it's which fast food is better or who should be in charge of our country, right? Both spectrums of things. You could argue about war. You could argue about conspiracy theories. Did the Titanic really sink? Was it its twin? Is the earth flat? You can go back and forth on different arguments and you can be arguing and in your mind, you are 100% right and the other person is 100% wrong. And when was the last time you ever saw or heard, or even in your experience, where you were heavily debating something with somebody, and you actually changed their mind? And in the end of the argument, they said, you're right, and I'm wrong. Has that ever happened to you before? My hand is down. Every time I'm in a debate with somebody, the more that you you put them down, the, the harder they get. Right, the, they and they tend to take a stronger stance, even if they're starting to realize, okay, my arguments don't make sense anymore. But now their pride is at stake. So usually, what happens is they harden up and they either just start yelling or they they leave and they come back with more arguments. And it's just never-ending process. Maybe you've tried debating with um, people with other religions before, different cults. I know, fresh out of Bible college, you know, I have all this knowledge on how to argue and debate and. I just wanted so bad to, to meet a Jehovah Witness or to meet a Mormon, you know, and I just could, I'd see them on the street and I'd walk up to them and <laughs> I have my verses and did I ever win them to Christ? No. <laughs> the more you argue with them, the more you debate, the, the more staunch that they get. And that's just how it goes. And to be honest, if it was flipped around, I would probably be the same way. My pride is at stake. We've all been either, we've all been on both sides of the arguments where we know we're probably in the wrong but we're not going to admit it. Or when we know we're right, and we're trying to get the other person to admit their fault. However, there is one very old trick, a 350-year-old trick, in fact, that can apparently greatly increase your odds of changing someone's mind in an argument. Care to hear about it? I don't, you probably don't care, right? I'll just skip over it. You may have heard of this guy. I've never heard of him before, but his name is Blaise Pascal. He was a 17th century French philosopher. Anybody hear of him? I probably pronounced his name wrong. So, a French philosopher, 17th century. He was an inventor, a physicist, a well-known mathematician of his time. And if that wasn't enough, he also developed a handy tip to get someone to agree with you. Curious. Now, this is, like I said, it's been around for years now, so you've heard of similar techniques of this before, but he was the guy that came up with it. 
Now, he was way ahead of the curve in terms of psychological thinking, and he wrote about this hot tip in his book called Panse. Years ago, of course. This is what he said. He said, when we wish to correct with advantage and to show another that he errs, we must notice from what side he views the matter. For on that side, it is usually true and admit that truth to him, but reveal to him the side on which it is false. He is satisfied with that, for he sees that he was not mistaken and that he only failed to see all sides. So he goes on, he says, Now, no one is offended at not seeing everything, but one does not like to be mistaken. And that perhaps arises from the fact that man naturally cannot see everything and that naturally he cannot err in the side he looks at since the perception of our senses are always true. So what is he trying to say here? All right, some of you are still confused. (laughs) I was too. What he's trying to say here is to tell someone they are wrong, you must first tell them that they are right. You're looking at two sides of the argument. You have to understand why does this person think this is right? Well, you have to put yourself in their shoes, and when you're on the other side of the scope, you can look and say, okay, I guess I can see where you're coming from. And once you've acknowledged and you agree that, you know what, from your perspective, I totally get how you can see that. But now come over to my side and see why I think this way. Now you're not attacking them. You're, not, you're just helping them to see that there might be another side to the argument. He suggests that the most effective way to get someone to change your mind about something is to first tell them the ways in which their argument is correct before pointing out the ways in which you feel that they might possibly be incorrect from your perspective. Now, this doesn't work every time, but I promise you it works way more than just attacking them at every angle you possibly can. Now, I, start, I got started to think about this idea of arguments, and I'm not really an arguer. I don't like to argue. I don't like to get into things. I will, for fun, get into things with some friends and about things that don't really matter sometimes. But when we come to this approach about with, with the Lord, with God, if hu- humans have the ability, though difficult, but we have the ability to change another human's mind about something, is it possible for a human to change God's mind? May, at first, you may say, well, no, that's ridiculous. Well, in this passage we just read in Exodus chapter 32, And in verse 9, this passage alludes, it seems to allude to the fact that Moses changed God's mind. The Israelites have just broken God's law. God is frustrated with Israel for continually sinning. It says here in verse 10 of Exodus chapter 32, verse 10, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, And that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Talking to Moses. Verse 11, And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, (coughs) 
for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. <coughs> he's literally telling, Moses is telling, it seems like he's telling the Lord to repent, to change your mind, and not do this wrath that you seek. Verse 13, he tells him, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Remember thy servants. Verse 14, And the Lord repented of the evil, which he thought to do unto his people. <coughs> Excuse me. Did Moses actually change God's mind here? Well, to answer this question in twofold, I want us to, we're going to come back here, but I want, if we can, to turn to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, where is Malachi? It's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi and chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, and let's look in verse 5. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 5 says, And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers. So I'm here, Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. It says, and against the adulterers, and against false swearers, and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the stranger from his rights, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I, the Lord God, I change not. In Hebrews, there's a verse that says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. What is it? Today and forever. He's the same. Here, Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, I change not. Two things I want us to consider here today. And here's the first. We can't change God's will. We cannot change God's will. Consider with me this. In order for God to change his mind about something, he would have to improve upon himself in some way. In other words, if God changed his mind, that action would suggest that his first way of thinking was deficient. But because maybe we prayed, he improved his plan concerning our situation. So for God to actually stop and change his mind would indicate that perhaps his first way of thinking wasn't the best way. It wasn't the best route of action. And somebody else brought up a suggestion, and you know what? I like that better. Let's do that. We know from Scripture that God is perfect. He makes no mistakes. That God's will is perfect. And when God says something, it is to be done, and it will be done. When God makes a promise, it, it always comes true. God never lies. The Bible is without error. God is without error. He is perfect. God's will cannot be changed. 
We humans, we change our minds all the time. I change my mind all the time. When somebody else has a better suggestion, I consider. And if it really is a better suggestion than my personal opinion, let's go with that. Let's do that instead. We humans change our minds when we see a better way to do something. We thought A, but we realized that B was better. So we change our mind. But here's the problem. God knows all things. He knows A, he knows B, he knows Z, he knows Z. So we change our mind. But God knows everything, the beginning from the ends. We see this in Revelation 22. In Ephesians chapter 1, God knows he sees the beginning and the end. It's not possible for him to improve upon any plan that he has made because he can see all the plans at once. He's up in heaven looking down. His ways are perfect. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31 says this, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. Man, that's a good verse right there, that whole passage. It says, As for God, his way is perfect. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, it says here, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. And I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, listen to this. I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. That is a passage for us to consider. When we're considering, can we change the will of God? That's Isaiah 46, verse 9. I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. When God says something, it happens. It comes to pass. Or we can try to change his will. In fact, I want to show you a passage where somebody tried to change the will of God, and we'll see how it turned out for him. Look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. And in 1 Samuel chapter 28, we come to the very first king of Israel. King Saul started out pretty good. 1 Samuel chapter 28. He started out pretty good. The first year or two of his kingship, he was serving the Lord. But then he started to go his own way and do his own thing. Eventually, he kept failing and sinning and sinning against God. And God eventually said, Saul, I'm done with you. I'm finished. And God basically closed himself off from Saul. And even at that point, Saul still didn't try repenting of his sins. Because I believe if Saul had truly repented, God would have opened himself back up. Because he's done that multiple times to people throughout the scriptures. But Saul never did that. Saul has been shut from God. God is not listening to him because Saul has sin that hasn't been forgiven. So Saul gets desperate. 
Now, I'm not going to get into detail of this chapter because there's a lot to unpack here. Saul gets desperate and he, uh, Samuel now has passed away. That was his one guy that he would go to for advice when he didn't know what to do. Samuel is gone now and he's dead. So Saul actually goes to a witch of Endor, the Bible says here, to bring Samuel back up. And I'm not going to get into all the details. And this is a, a story for another time, okay? But essentially, God allows this this instance to happen here. So look at verse 15. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. So what is he saying? I need help, Samuel. God, I, there's no prophets that are helping me. God's not giving me dreams or visions anymore. Nothing. Therefore, says here, I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and is become thine enemy? Saying, Why do you care? You're God's enemy and God's enemy of you right now. And the Lord had done to him, verse 17, as he spake by me. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thy hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executeth his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and to, here it is, and tomorrow. Shalt thou and thy sons be with me? Now, Samuel is, is dead. <laughs> it's a weird story. Right? That's a, a time for another time. But Samuel says, you'll be with me. In other words, tomorrow, you and your sons will die. The Lord shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So Saul is scared out of his mind. He doesn't eat. They, you know, he, he's petrified. And... They finish the chapter. Well, if you finish the story here, I think you have to go to chapter 31 to finish the story. Saul thinks to himself, God says I'm going to die in battle tomorrow, but what if? What if I trick God? What if I don't go to battle dressed up as the king, but instead I'll go to battle dressed up as a soldier? Ah. See, the, the enemy, they're going to be looking for a king, but they're not going to see the king. I'm just going to be a random soldier kind of in the back of the army, and maybe this way I'll stay alive. Now, God said you're going to die tomorrow, and your sons. He tried to see if he could alter God's will and change what God said would take place, and you know the story. He dressed up as a random soldier, and the Bible says that a random arrow just flies overhead and sticks all, gets him. He's wounded, and... Eventually, he dies. And eventually, his sons die. Saul knew God's will for his life. He still went to battle. He still tried to alter it. So he did his absolute best to what he thought was what was going to work. And it didn't work out for him. You know what's interesting about the story? <laughs> I found this interesting. Look at 2 Kings chapter 22. 2 Kings chapter 22. It's just, it's kind of funny to me. 
2 Kings chapter 22. Now you skip ahead many, many years later. And now we are looking at a different king here. And in Second uh, Kings chapter 22 here, And uh, verse number 19, and I think I meant to say 1 Kings chapter 22. Let me just uh, double check here. But I, what I find interesting here is the, basically the exact same happens. Yeah, sorry, 1 Kings chapter 22. I just want you to you know, get a feel for your Bible, you know, get to know where all the books are. 1 Kings chapter 22. Uh, now we come to a different king called King Ahab. And Ahab now, he's a wicked king. He's not serving God. God is fed up with Ahab. Ahab has no repentance in his heart at all whatsoever. So now we come to verse 19. And this is a prophet now talking to Ahab. He says here in verse 19, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on this manner, and there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. This is another strange story here. I don't have time to dive into, but essentially the prophet is saying, look, up in heaven, they were having a meeting and the angels and God was saying, who is going to make sure that my will is done in Ahab's life? Who's going to make sure? And it seems here that the angels were going back and forth and one angel said, I'll do it, Lord. Verse 21, and there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? Like, how are you going to do? What's your plan? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. So, once again, strange story. What happens here is one angel says, well, I'm, I'm going to go down, if it's your will, Lord, and I'm going to tell all of Ahab's prophets. Now, Ahab has prophets of Baal, right? False prophets. And he's got hundreds of these prophets, and they all come up to Ahab, and they all say, Ahab, the Lord hath said that you will go to battle tomorrow, and you will be victorious. You will win. And Ahab, ah, I love you, prophets. You're always telling me good things. Now, Ahab is with another king right now, King Jehoshaphat. He's king of Judah. And Jehoshaphat says, uh, Ahab, don't you have like one real prophet here amongst you? One real prophet of God. And Ahab says, yeah, there's this, there's this one guy. It says here, his name is Micaiah. You could read the chapter. I'm just, I, I skipped ahead for sake of time. This is Micaiah, but he always prophesies negative against me. I don't like him. And Jehoshaphat says, well, isn't that mean he's telling the truth? Okay, well, can we, can we listen to Micaiah then? He says, yeah, fine, whatever. Bring in Micaiah. So Micaiah comes in. And humorously, he walks up and he says, Hey, Ahab, how's it going? I'm kind of paraphrasing in my own translation. Hey, Ahab, how's it going? And Ahab says, All right, what did the Lord tell you? Micaiah says, The Lord hath said you will be victorious tomorrow. And Ahab, this is, you read the Bible, Ahab says, Micaiah, I know you're lying to me right now. 
I know that's not what God told you to tell me. What did God really tell you? And Micaiah says, okay, well, and this is what he tells him. He says, well, this is what God told me, that an angel has just lied to all of your prophets to tell you you're going to be victorious so that you will go out to battle tomorrow and you will die. That's what God told me to tell you. And it says here in uh, verse 23, Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. But Zedekiah, the son of Shania, went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? So he's saying, Who told you that? I'll take care of him. You know, trying to defend his king. Verse 25, And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. He's basically saying, when the battle goes awry tomorrow, you're going to be hiding in a chamber. Verse 26, And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And he basically puts him in prison <laughs> for saying something negative. So what happens? They go into battle, and Ahab... He has a clever idea. No one's thought of this idea before. Ahab says, huh, the Lord says I'm going to die in battle. I know. I'll dress up like a soldier. <laughs> yeah, God's never seen that one before. I'll dress up like a random soldier. And, and Jehoshaphat's with me, so they're going to think Jehoshaphat, he's going to dress up like a king because he's the king of the northern, uh, southern tribe. So they're going to think he's me, and they're going to kill him, and I'm going to be free. Hey, see, I tricked God on this one. Guess what the Bible says? You know how he died? A random arrow. <laughs> Probably the same archer. He's been alive all these years. A random arrow gets Ahab, sticks him while he's in his chariot. And what happens to Ahab? He dies exactly the way the prophet foretold. Another prophet previously foretold exactly the way he and his wife would perish. You see, when God's will is to be done, it will be done. We cannot change God's will upon our life. So my question to you is, can prayer, can our prayers, the prayers of a human, change the will of God in our lives? The answer is no. We cannot change the will of God. He is sovereign and his will cannot be changed. However, I want us to consider the second thing here tonight, this morning. We cannot change God's will, but we can change the way his will is carried out. So what do you mean by that? Go back to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, our, our passage here. We cannot change God's will, but we can. There are some things that can happen that might alter the way his will is carried out. So Exodus chapter 32. Now we come to Moses. God is not happy with Israel right now. I mean, Exodus 32, look at verse 7. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. So Moses is on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments from God. He's been up there for 40 days. He's been doing his part. But guess what? The people have broken out. They think Moses is dead. Aaron, his brother, who's supposed to be the high priest, he helps erect this golden statue. And just within a matter of weeks now, Moses is still alive. He's not even dead. 
God is giving them the Ten Commandments, and the people have fallen into idolatry. And the Lord is upset with his people. He's so upset, he even says, he tells them, uh, verse 7, the Lord said unto Moses, get thee down for thy people. You know, like, I don't know if you've ever done this as a parent. Sometimes when your kid does something wrong, uh, like, let's just say, uh, I don't want to pick on my kids because I would pick on my kids. So let's just say you have a child, one of those does something wrong, and then uh, you know, Lydia will say to me, oh, look what your child did today. You know, like, well, hold on, it's your child too. It's 50-50 here. But then when that child does something right, oh, look at my child. Come here, baby. I don't know if that's what was happening here, but I kind of see that the Lord is upset. He's saying, Moses, look what your people did. You brought them out of Egypt. Look what they've done here. And the Lord is upset, as he is rightfully so. God has order. He has laws and rules. And when we break those laws, he has every right. He has, it's called righteous indignation or righteous anger. There is a, an anger that you as humans can have that's not wrong. If you're angry about something, that, that, about a sin, about something, somebody's blaspheming God or defaming his holy name, and you're angry about that, that's a righteous anger. But humans also could have an evil anger too, right? We can get angry, we can lash out, and we could yell and scream, and we can get violence. That's not what's happening here. God has a righteous anger happening here. And he's upset. And Moses here, verse 11, And Moses besought the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? In verse 13, he says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, spoken of will I give unto your seed. Moses says, God, do you remember the Abrahamic covenant? Remember when you promised Abraham back in the day that you promised his seed would continue all the way to the Messiah? You promised you would bless his seed, you would give him a land? Lord, don't break the Abrahamic promise. Did Moses save God from making a mistake here? Did he change his mind? You know what's interesting I find here? Is that God tells Moses that I will make of thee, in verse 10, a great nation. God is suggesting, and he's every right to do this, he's saying, if I were to consume these people right now and restart the lineage through you, that technically could still work. If you think about it, because the lineage is right now the lineage of Christ, because everything turned out fine, it comes through the lineage of Judah, of uh, Jacob's third child is Judah. Jacob had 12 sons. You know the, tw- the tr- 12 tribes of Israel. The third son is Judah. That's the lineage God that was chosen for, the, for Christ to come through. You could read Matthew and Luke, the lineages. But had it been through Moses now, the lineage would have just altered and it would have now been through the son of Levi. Things would have changed along the way, of course, but nothing would have been broken. The Abrahamic covenant still would have been there. They still would have made it to the promised land. Nothing would have changed. God's will still would have perfectly been sought out. But I find this interesting that sin can actually change God's mind. Sin can change, I, should, I say change God's mind, but sin can alter the way his will is carried out. 
about our life. It can alter it. And we say, how's that? God promised that he was going to send Israel through the wilderness, and one day they were going to have a promised land, right? That was a big promise. Moses is trying to accomplish his goal here. But they didn't quite make it in the time that would have been most beneficial to Israel. Did they still make it to the promised land eventually? They did. But it took them an extra 40 years to get there. In fact, all the people that got initially said would, would get a chance to witness it couldn't because of their sin. Their sin at Kadesh Barnea when the 12 spies came back, you remember? The 10 spies says, yeah, we can't do it. They're, they're, they're too strong. They're too big. We don't have what it takes. Joshua and Caleb said, no, no, we can. We can. Let's, let's do it. Don't listen to them. We're right at the brink. We're at the Jordan River now. Let's, let's quit now. And they quit on God. God's will still happened. They still made it, but their sin altered the way that his will was accomplished in their life. I'll have you turn to one more verse here. Look with me in Psalm chapter 78. And keep your finger here. We're going to flip back here. But Psalm chapter 78. This is interesting. David is giving us a historical timeline of Israel. Psalm chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78, verse 40. Psalm chapter 78, like I said, this is, uh, it's not David, actually, it's Asaph, and he's giving here an entire uh, a rundown, a historical uh, background here of Israel and their wanderings through the wilderness and how God provided for them. And he makes this statement here in Psalm 78, look in verse 40. It says, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Whoa, that's a statement. They limited God. Now, God is unlimited. We can't actually limit God. What's being said here is that the sin of their people literally altered the way in which God's will was to be done. God had it in order to bless these people, but their sin stopped God's blessing on their life. And he ended up blessing their children instead. So we can't change God's will, but we can change, we can change the way his will is carried out. And sin is one way that we can alter. God, wants, God has a perfect will for everybody's life. He's got, and it's different for every person. We search our whole lives trying to stay in God's will. We serve him as best as we can today. And tomorrow we wake up and we serve him as best as we can tomorrow. And if you just serve God as best as you can each and every day, you will perfectly be in God's will. That's essentially what God tells Israel. Just listen to me, follow my commandments and everything. I'll take care of the rest. And then because we're human, sin sneaks into our life. And it alters uh, the, the, the perfect straight path that God had for us, now it, it gets altered. We go off the path. And God still has a will for us, and now it, it changes a bit. The, the course of time, it's altered a bit, and doesn't always, the blessings that God had wanted to bestow on your life, now perhaps is given to someone else because of the choices that we choose to make in life at times. 
But you know what? Sin can change. Sin can alter the way in which God's will is carried out in our life. But something else can as well, and that is what we see here in Exodus 32. That's prayer. Prayer. Christians fail to see just how powerful prayer really is. Do you really believe that when you're on your knees, that when you're talking, that God, God is listening to you? God, that we read about in Genesis, that created the world in six days. Do you realize that you can talk to God? Sometimes, husband and wives, we have trouble listening to each other. <laughs> Honey, are you listening? Are you listening to me? Son, listen. Are you listening to me? Look at me. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Okay, I know you're not listening to me. We have trouble getting anyone to listen to us, but you could actually, right now, close your eyes, and you can bow your head, and if, you're, if there's no sin in your life, you know, there, and your, your heart is pure, you can talk to God, and he listens to you. I don't think sometimes we quite understand that. You know, you, you, you're eating right before you eat breakfast. Uh, let's see here. Lord, thank you for this food. Bless the food in Jesus' name, amen. You just said that prayer to God haphazardly. We, we have the opportunity to stand before a holy God, and most of the time we're too busy to do it. We're too, we have the opportunity to speak to the greatest person being ever created, and yet uh, we, we sleep in most of the time. Our, our schedule is just too busy for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We, we don't quite have the time for it, and I don't think we quite realize just how powerful prayer really is. Do you see what Moses is doing here? He's talking to God. He's not changing God's mind. God's will will be done no matter what. But Moses is communicating with God. He's remembering the promises that God gave Moses. And Moses is trying to intercede for Israel right here. And he's saying, Lord, please, Lord, your will will be done. But if it be your will, could you just add a little mercy to us just again? I know, God, you've given us so much mercy over the years. You, our people have complained over and over and over and over again, and, and they're going to pl- complain over and over again in the future, but right here in this moment, God, would you just one more time have mercy on us? Lord, would you, would you just overlook? Would you forgive us one more time? And you know what? Moses' prayer... Now, Israel will get punished for their sin, but it, 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 it's postponed here. It's postponed. Israel will get punished. You see this later on down the way. But because of Moses' prayer, it gets postponed. Verse 14, And the Lord repented of the evil in which he sought to do unto his people. The word repent means to change your mind. There's also another definition that's used. It's also used in times this, uh, referred to as sorrow. God was sorrowful. He was sorrowful for his people. And the fact that he has to punish them eventually. Prayer is so powerful. James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? Availeth much. You read the next two verses. It says that Elijah got on his face and asked God to stop the rain for three and a half years. That's what it says in James 5.17. God, would you stop the rain? And God listened to Elijah for three and a half years. It didn't rain during the time of Ahab. And then verse 18, it says, Elijah went back up to heaven and said, God, would you bring the rain back? And God listened to Elijah. 
God doesn't always answer our prayers because it may not always align with his will. You remember the story with David and Bathsheba when David sinned against Bathsheba, with Bathsheba. He sinned horribly. And God promised that, you know what, as a result, one of your punishments is that that child is going to die. So what did David do that night? He got in his face. He laid it sackcloth and ashes, and he poured his heart out to God, and he begged God to change his mind. Save this child, please, Lord. Not just one night, not two nights, but for seven days. He laid on his face before God. Didn't eat, he didn't drink. He begged God to save that child. God didn't answer David's prayer. Because God told him that it was going to happen. It was his will. God doesn't always answer our prayers. It doesn't always align with his will. Which is why it's important when we pray, we say, God, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Think of it this way. A father has a plan to give his daughter a car someday. When she turns, we'll say, 19. All right? Maybe that's too early. Maybe that's too late. I don't know. Just, just for example, okay? Some of you 19-year-olds are wishing your dad would give you a car right now. But for example, the father has a plan. This, the girl is only six, seven years old right now, but he's made a decision. When you turn 19, he hasn't told her this, but in his heart, when she, this girl turns 19, I'm going to get her a car. He knows that by that time, she'll be more responsible. Maybe she'll have a, a job at this point. She'll be hopefully active in church or school activities. She'll be able to pay for her own insurance, just giving a hypothetical here. But he, he also plans to wait until she asks for it. Okay, so this is a part of the Father's will. Okay, I want to give you this car, but I'm going to wait till you're ready. I'm going to wait for you to ask for it for me. You need to ask for it. Those are his only two his only two uh, rules here. Okay, so at age 15, she begins to beg for a car. Dad, 15, give me a car. No, what? You, what? 15, you're 15. You can't, no, you can't have a car. You can't even, can't even legal, can't even drive. What's wrong with you? 15, Dad, please. She begins to bargain and gets angry. On her 16th birthday, there's no car. 17th birthday, there's no car. I know in Canada, it's, you can't really get your license that young, but just an example, okay? 16th birthday, no car. 17th birthday, no car. 18th birthday. Her 18th birthday is approaching, still no car. But by now, she's starting to mature. She hasn't been asking her dad that much for it anymore. And one day, her 19th birthday approaches. And in a much more mature, thoughtful way, she explains her need for a car. She doesn't just want one now, but that she needs a car. She's got a job lined up. She's got uh, errands that need to be run. She's got a college to go to. She has things she wants to do. She wants to help out in ministries in the church. And she expresses her confidence that her dad will take care of her need. And after showing maturity and, and handling a job for a time, and after she's shown her maturity, her dad eventually joyfully surrenders the keys of the car to her daughter. The dad's not foolish. He's not going to give uh, a 17-year-old keys to a car who's clearly not ready to have it. But he knows, and he waits till she's ready, and he waits till she asks properly for that car. Did she, did, did, um, did she, did he change his mind about his will for her life in this story? He did not change his will. He had always planned to give it to her. Did she need to ask for it? According to this will of his father, Yes. 
she needed to still ask for that car. What would have happened if when she turned 19, she kept begging her dad, and she didn't have a good job at that point, and she wasn't faithful in church, and she wasn't showing herself, would dad have been able to give it to her at 19? No. He had to wait. It could have been 20, could have been 25, could have been 30, could have kept getting pushed off. His will would have still been accomplished. He still would have eventually given her that car. But you see, her life and her choices in life might alter the way in which that will was given to her. But when she was ready, and when she asked for it, that perfect will was given to her. And that's exactly how God is with us. He delights to give us things when it's within his plan, within his will, when he knows we won't, we, we won't always understand his timing. We won't always understand his expectations. But Matthew 6.8 says, 6, says this, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. When you go up and ask God for something, God's not going to go, Oh, wow, you're right. Did I miss that. I didn't know you needed that in your life. God already knows what you need before you ask it, but you still have to ask it. See, there's important lessons for us here to learn. Our prayers help to align our hearts with his heart until his will is our highest goal. Because sometimes God says no, and you say, that's okay, because it must not be your will. And your will is perfect. Your will is sovereign. And if you don't think I should have this, then I don't want it anymore. That should be our heart. Usually, though, when God doesn't answer our prayer the way we want, we get angry. We get upset. Oh, God, I know better than you. I needed that. Really? You know better than God. So, can we change his mind? Well, yes and no, I guess. That's not the question to ask. Can we change his will? No, we cannot. We cannot change his ultimate will, but we can't alter, we can't change the way we get there. When we sin, it limits his blessing on our life and sometimes changes the timeline in which his will is accomplished, but our prayer can help stay his judgment, bring us back on track, and his prayer can also speed up the process at times. So let us consider our own life today where we are at. When it comes to the changing the mind of God, don't even try. You don't want to change his mind. Just live for God today. Follow his will. Serve him with all your hearts. And the closer you get to God, the more that all you want to do is do what he wants you to do anyway. So let's keep these things in mind as we go to prayer. If you'd like to stand as we... Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.